fire rescue, EMS, law enforcement. These are the three components of public safety, and those who answer the call are the first responders. Welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders with your host, Steve Green. Five Alarm Task Force presents some of the best instructors and mentors in public safety today to educate, elucidate, and entertain. No topic is out of bounds and every opinion has value. Five Alarm Task Force is brought to you by Insight Fire Training, LLC, your best bet for fire service thermal imaging camera training. And our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, the Firehouse Tribune, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Tennessee Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, fighting to extinguish firefighting cancer since 2004, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. Remember, our ultimate goal is for you to be safe and return home after every call. So insert those earphones or turn up those speakers. The Five Alarm Task Force is being dispatched right now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Steve Green. I'll be your host. And my guest today will be Battalion Chief Scott Blanchard of the Venice, Florida Fire Department. And Chief Blanchard has a very relatively unique perspective on what it takes to be a fire service leader and some of the topics that he finds very, very important for his area. We'll be talking with Chief Blanchard in just a few moments, just a little bit of podcast business to get out of the way. First of all, if you're a first-time listener, we welcome you. We're glad to have you with us. And if you'd like to hear more of our episodes, you can do so very easily at our website. Just go to www.dalmatianproductions.tv and click on the podcast tab at the top of the page, and you'll be taken to our complete library where you can listen to our podcast, nearly 150 of them, at your leisure. If you uh, do go to our website, we hope that you'll sign up for our newsletter. Just a simple process on the homepage. Just give us your email. We do uh, take an oath to protect that email. We will not hand it over to third parties or sell it. That's not what we believe in. And our newsletter comes out several times a year, maybe every couple of months. And it has information about the podcast, uh, about changes coming up, like our video changes, which we'll talk about later on and also uh, the scheduling and news from Dalmatian Productions as well. If you follow us on Facebook at forward slash Dalmatprod or forward slash Dalmatprodfire, please like us and please don't forget to leave us some information. Write back to us. We'd like to read your posts and your comments. Let us know what you think about the episodes that you've listened to or some episodes that you'd like to see us do. We always want to hear from our listeners, and if you have ideas for a show, please let us know about it, and we'll do our best to make it happen. And no matter which platform you use to listen to our podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, etc., most of them have a platform where you can rate us and leave comments. And we hope that you give us a top-of-the-line rating and some excellent comments because that will raise us up in the eyes of that platform, as well as make it easier for others who are looking for us to find us just by searching for 
Five Alarm Task Force. And finally, if you enjoy the show and you want to share that joy and that interest with others and at the same time help a great nonprofit organization that fully services the fire service, please visit our store with our friends from Teespring. You can go to bit.ly forward slash Dalmat Store with a capital D on Dalmat and a capital S on Store. And you'll see there's several t-shirts with different phrases on them and a couple of mugs that you can choose from. And a substantial portion of the proceeds from the sales of these items will be donated to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And that's it. That's all our business. So we hope you get yourself comfortable or get ready for your walk or your jog, whatever you're going to do, and tune in to listen to Five Alarm Task Force. We'll be right back with my guest, Battalion Chief Scott Blanchard, right after these words. Please stay tuned. New technology for the fire service seems to appear almost every day, and that technology demands a learning curve, especially if we're talking about thermal imaging cameras. That's where Insight Fire Training LLC is your best bet. With an excellent reputation across the U.S., Insight Fire Training will meet all your TIC training needs. Their curriculum is peer-reviewed and has been used internationally. Their instructors are Level 1 Thermography Certified, and they have taught in 33 states and 4 countries. Their courses run from introductory to training the trainers. Courses are available online, for the classroom, classroom hybrid, and even live fire. Insight Training LLC is proficient in over 40 thermal imaging cameras, so you feel confident they will know your make and model. Best of all, programs are customized to your specific needs, and their cadre of fire service veterans are vetted craftsmen of Project Kill the Flashover. They are so proficient that they have trained tick manufacturers on how to best use and sell their own product. That's Insight Fire Training LLC. Look them up on InsightTrainingLLC.com. Your best bet for tick training. Would you like to meet up with Andy and the team from Insight Training? Well, 2019 will be the year to do it. Here's some of their upcoming schedule. In two weeks at FDIC in Indianapolis, Indiana, a general conference presentation that will cover the often confusing and complex areas of thermal imaging from purchasing to policy. This is not a sales presentation. It is an educational program that is designed to assist firefighters in understanding the specifications of fire service thermal imaging cameras and how they will affect their ability to perform on the fire ground. April 19th through 20th in Hampton, Pennsylvania, two-day classroom and live fire tactical thermal imaging training with instructors Andy Starnes and Thomas Anderson. April 26th through the 28th, Caddo Parish, Louisiana, a 12-hour live fire and classroom presentation on tactical thermal imaging and hand search methodology with instructors Andy Starnes and Thomas Anderson. May 2nd through the 4th, the VCOS Fire Chiefs Conference. Instructor Andy Starnes presents spiritual survival in the fire service. All proceeds go to charity. May 10th through 12th, West Virginia Public Safety Expo. Insight Training will conduct an eight-hour live fire training event where students will complete various scenario-based objectives. This course is well attended and it is our third year teaching there. It represents the Kanawha County region and a few states surrounding West Virginia. Instructors Thomas Anderson, Terrence Schumann, Andy Starnes, and Joey Baxa. June 14th, 
North Metro Fire Department in Colorado for an eight-hour tactical thermal imaging classroom training. Insight Training, LLC. Your best bet for tick training. We want to take a moment to tell you about one of our great promotional partners, the Firehouse Tribune. The Firehouse Tribune is an emergency services web-based platform where individuals can learn, train, and share ideas and experiences. In life, both on duty and off, we live by one creed. Excellence is a habit, not a goal. Interested? Find them on Twitter at FHTribune and visit their website at www.thefirehousetribune.com. Remember to always work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. Welcome to Chief Miller. Chief Miller operates the largest social media page dedicated to the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Check him out on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller. And check out the website where you can find Chief Miller Apparel at ChiefMillerApparel.com. Hello and welcome back to this episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. I'm your host, Steve Green. And my guest today, as I mentioned earlier, is a gentleman that I met at the uh, Great Florida Fire School this past October. And I heard him speak in several different places. And then at the towards the end, we actually had a podcast that we recorded there. And it was a panel of about nine firefighters, deputy chiefs, battalion chiefs, uh, captains, etc. And listening to him speak there and answer some of the questions that were put forth in the discussion there really gave me the signal that I want to have Battalion Chief Scott Blanchard on the podcast. The chief said he got interested in the fire service by his friend Robbie Moore, encouraging him to try volunteering at Punta Gorda Fire Department. He started his career there as a volunteer. He immediately fell in love with the fire service. Well, that happens about 99.99% of us. He volunteered there for almost two years before getting hired. He obtained his EMT certificate before going to fire school and was hired by Punta Gorda two weeks before he graduated fire school. I work, he worked there for two years before coming up to Venice Fire Department. He's been working with Venice for over 18 years. He was a firefighter for five years, lieutenant for 10 years, and now a battalion chief for the past three years. He likes to take on projects to better the fire department and the fire service, I can, and you'll hear that in his discussion today. His passion is training on all aspects of the fire service with special attention to high-rise firefighting, engine, and truck ops. Chief, welcome to the show. Happy to have you with us. Hey, thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Well, you picked a great topic when we talked about this just the other day, and this is one that we've, again, never covered in this podcast, and as I mentioned to you off air, this just hit, I saw this on Twitter just about a week to 10 days ago, this question, and what is, what happens when we get to the scene of a fire and our pre-connected attack lines are too short? They won't reach. 
So we're going to talk about so, tactics uh, and tra- yeah, uh, strategies. Go ahead, Chief. Yeah, um, since I've been promoted, um, it's kind of nice because you can uh, actually mold the shift a little bit more. You know, you can't change everything overnight. Sure. Or in the apple cart, so to speak. You kind of got to poke your head in the room a little bit and then, you know, a little bit more. And then eventually you're all the way through the doorway with uh, some of the guys and they uh, build up the trust factor. Right. But, uh, like, I, I know you've heard this before in the past. And, you know, it all resorts back to training. And my biggest thing is just trying to ignite a spark in the firefighters, especially the ones that, you know, aren't receptive to training and just trying to, you know, get a little bit of a, a wedge in that door gap so we can sure. open it up a little bit more. And then um, not trying to overwork the guys in training. I mean, at times, yes, but, like, for the most part, we try to uh, try micro trainings and we do a couple of big trainings when we can, like uh, – I'm on the uh, the demo list, right. so the city sends me all these lists as far as stuff. So we actually get to stretch on old houses they're going to tear down. So we are essentially able to train on a real house without building a prop, and then run realistic scenarios. Oh, that's um, the couple best. Of fires I've had in the last couple of months. Um, some of the stretches were 750 feet back to wow. the uh, to the fire, uh, one we just had with a brush fire with exposures. We had like a 50 or 60,000 square foot uh, oh. recreational building pool facility uh, backed up to the woods in an urban interface. And we actually had to stretch lines there. And that was, we had almost 2,200 feet of hand line on the ground. Oh, wow. And all deployed by hand. So everything right. was hand stretched, hand laid. There was no engines getting back there. The brush trucks couldn't get back there. And it was at night. So mm. we have a lot of difficulties. Um, and just trying to set up our rigs, uh, we're, we're constantly changing stuff. I wouldn't say constantly changing stuff, constantly improving stuff and seeing how it, what works and then trying to get the buy-in from everybody. Right. And just because it's my idea doesn't mean it's the best idea. As far as extending the stretch we're working on right now is what we have pre-connected in our engineer's cabinet. And if I have a training site that I run that I don't make any money on that just posts ideas and things to get guys thinking. Right. And uh, we've actually adapted, and everybody's buying into it now. We actually have a pre-connected one section of hose that's just strapped with a nozzle to it to where if you have to extend your pre-connect, our pre-connects are 200 feet. Right. We can off the uh, the fog nozzle and extend it. It's in shaft couplings, and now we use it as a shut-off. So instead of having to roll the hose out, and go chase the end of it and then get a nozzle. Everything's strapped in there like with a high-rise strap. Right. And it's strapped to fit in the compartment. So the other thing we did there is, uh, I don't know if, how certain guys set up their rigs, but everybody rolls it and puts it in the storage. Well, this one here now acts like a chalk to uh, keep the hose from rolling around. And then we did the same thing with one section of two and a half because if we have to extend the stretch, it's a lot easier just to grab a bundle and you know haul us up the stairs Right. Than it is to, to try to figure all this stuff out and connect it. And then that left enough room to where we actually have a bag. Yes, an engineer's bag that, for the most part, at 2.30 in the morning, when you need to make a connection or you have an issue with a standpipe or you need to uh, extend another line, we have, you know, Ys in there and stuff and different adapters for our district that works for us um, to be able to do that. And then you don't have to remember anything. It's kind of like grab one bag and pretty much going to solve like 90, 95% of your problems. Wow. That's uh, a great idea. Now you mentioned, yeah. by the way, so, you mentioned you had a website where you post a little, some ideas for, you know, helping firefighters. Let's take that down and put it on the website when we, uh, 
when I post yeah, this? Yeah, I'm not on Twitter. I'm sort of on Instagram. I got to get back on Instagram more. I just uh, I'm old school, so Facebook, and it's called Nine Four One Fireman. It's uh, Fireman. Facebook oh, yeah. page I started, and I and I put meat and potato training items, things that I've tried, done, read about. Um, now that's part of Facebook Nine Four One Fireman. That's your wait Facebook yes, page. Okay, good. Yes. On Facebook, Excellent. yeah. So uh, we're doing that, and um, you know I'll make short videos with my guys. We'll do walkthroughs, you know, sizing up buildings. We'll talk about different stretches, forceful entry stuff. You know, it's all encompassing. It's not just engine related, truck related, you know, firefighter related. It's all writ. So it's it's anything that pertains to the fire service or a fireman, whether it's truck ops, engine ops, rescues, high rise, anything that I can grab or anything that we create, we try to do. Uh, we just got done with the aerial ops class in Florida. We had like, I think we ended up with uh, about 56, 57 students Excellent. Uh, from all over the country. So we have people from Washington State, Texas, Oklahoma. Idaho, so down here in Florida training, and it was great because all the companies from around this area, except for one, won't get into them, but they sent <laughs> trucks, so their guys that were actually taking the class could learn on their units and learn oh, about tactics and, oh, and everything nice. else. So. That's nice. So, so yeah, that being is. that being said, what what's the apparatus that you have with Venice? It's a relatively small... Why don't you explain yeah, we, the community we're, to we're the pretty, listeners? Yeah, I'll give you the details. We're about 19 square miles. Um, we're east and west more than we are north and south as far as the uh, the length of our district and we got three stations we run uh, almost four thousand calls a year uh three engines one battalion and one ladder a uh, hundred foot ladder aerial platform that being said we are um you know we're 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 running two by two so we don't have a lot of a lot of help right off the bat wow. so okay. that being said you know, we're not running three-man trucks as much as I want to. If manpower allows, then we're uh, we're doing it. Right. So, so we're kind of like we're already behind the curve. So we try to do what we can to to stay ahead of that curve. And a lot of it just runs back to training. Going into that fire we had at the yacht club, we uh, we had a standpipe system on the dock or a wet pipe system. Right. And that. We actually measured it afterwards. It was 750 feet to the dock where we needed the water to be able to move a hose line on the dock. And we had two 55-foot vessels and fully involved. Uh, the one guy just took on fuel, about 400 and something gallons, and propane tanks on the back. Yeah. So first-in engine was me and the first-in engine, and everybody else was coming, of course. And uh, they, they started to pull the pre-connect. We have 150 feet off the front discharge right that's a jump and that's you know or a trash line or whatever but it's you know we call it the trash line but really it's you know multi-purpose so i uh talk to lieutenant i say look i'm going to go to size up i know they have a uh you know a wet pipe system on the dock and we're going to go around back so i went to do my size up and they're stretching the line and I immediately just called you know an audible say hey, look get the high rise uh you know packs and kit and get to the dock and then i started uh you know opening up the uh, hose cabinets on the dock getting their uh, little one-inch, um, you know, yeah. residential fire hose or whatever that they normally have in cabinets that are up in buildings. Just connected that. The guys were there. We started stretching the line, got one line in play. We had, like, I think it was, like, 50 pounds, maybe static pressure. Mm -hmm. So um, all the design of that hose pack is something I've learned from, uh, you know, Kurt Isaacson, Bill Gustin, Chief McGrail out of Denver, you know, this low-pressure stuff. And it actually worked out great because on that – with that not having supported the FDIC yet, 
we were able to get water on the fire and get a knockdown on it, which then allowed us to push up limited manpower because there's only three of us on the dock at that point. Right. To push up Exo's cabinet and actually deploy that one inch line and get more water on that just because everything's working off of a low pressure until the second and third Duke could come in and we had to stretch a 600 foot of uh, two and a half line down the side of the building just to get to the water's edge. And then that was our foam line because we had, uh, these boats were made out of fiberglass with the fuel. So we needed foam. Right. But we, I knew if I, I knew if I could get the water on the fire and get it knocked down kind of sure. not totally extinguished, but keep it from, uh, lighting off other boats. Um, on that fire in particular, there was, uh, I think the total was about 11 or 12 boats totally involved with some sort of damage. Oh, so yeah. a lot in heat and some of these boats that were damaged were damaged with, uh, on the leeward side uh-huh. or the, the port side. They weren't even, I guess, no, sorry, leeward side. And, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was affecting those boats. So when we left the station, um, we saw a column that looked like it probably had about, I don't know, fiberglass goes off a lot of smoke, Yeah, but it looked like there was at least two or three houses involved in this, the volume or the column of smoke. And I got some of these pictures posted on my uh, 941 fireman site. Yeah. If you want to look at it. Yeah. I'll have to go look, take a look and, at that. Uh, it, yeah, it was, it was fast and furious, but from the time of dispatch and then, you know, training pays dividends and like, you know, uh, like a big proponent of like the way I think and, and do is, uh, partially related to Andy Fredericks and the way that Kurt Isaacson talks about him and Aaron Fields and Nozzle Ford. Those guys, um, those guys talk about, you know, being ready for whatever. And the fact that, uh, they, you know, they're very passionate. I'm very passionate about this is, uh, just, I'm always thinking about tactics. It's just one of my hobbies. So my, my brain's always turning mm-hmm. and, uh, I train with my guys. It's kind of funny because I train with my guys and we, we actually were able to make this change from uh, fog nozzles, which were not what we needed to use. And then we get a fire two weeks later that we're directly using the things that we just put into service. <clears throat> so it's kind of great that, that that was the deciding factor in this fire of, of being able to do this and have a successful uh, outcome of the fire, not even sinking the boats because I was directing my guys, you know, to keep the boats from trying to uh, list one way or the other to where, sure. you know, the salvage company and come in, tow them out, put them on a bar, offload the fuel, and then, you know, dispose of the boats. So that was one of the biggest heartaches right there was getting that line stretched, and there was a lot of manpower. But we knew if we kept the fire in check, that would allow us time for the crews that are delayed coming in behind us. Right. Stretch that two and a half, you know, dry, get it charged, and then just tie back into the um, the standby packs that we had on the dock, and then that allowed us to, uh, you know, um, once we – had enough manpower there we started putting some fog nozzles on there so we get the foam exposure but we could screw those right onto the nozzles that we had from our high-rise kits so that that went beautifully like almost like we had practiced it that way and that comes from training exactly you know, uh, when the band comes shows up for uh game day and they get on the field and everybody's marching in tune it was it was just like we executed it. my guys did a great job you know i was just the the lead guy calling the shots but they they you know they get everything into play, and then the mutual aid companies that were coming in behind us to support the standpipe after we got that two and a half in play, and actually ended up supporting the standpipe first to give us more water pressure. And then while they're taking, not taking their time, but it took time to get back, get that foam line stretched so we could, and then knock out the deep seated fires within the hulls of the vessels that were on fire. Right. And that was just, one, you know, one facet. Um, let's see what. Else. Where were they going well, after I, that? But, well, I, I think what's um, important... The size was the key on that. 
So, I mean, right. if, I, if, if I had to bring one point or a couple points up from this uh, conversation we're having is the biggest thing was me sizing it up and calling the shots from where the fire was actually at and then the guys bringing the stuff up. And then as we started laying our pieces in, but don't, I had to, you know, redirect a couple of units that I said, okay, let's do this. You know what? Scratch that. Let's go this. Cause this is where the fire's going. Um, you know, it's not in the SOPs or SOGs or ROGs, whatever you want to call them, wherever you're from. Um, you know, you can't be afraid to put the line on the ground. A lot of guys, I don't, I don't want to speak for everybody, but some people don't want to lay the line on the ground because, you know, they're going to pick it back up, but it's like, no, we need to, we need to do this. And then, you know, at least stretch it dry. And if it comes, then you're ready. You know, it's really sure. charge line if it's in place and it's right there. So, um, but yeah, that was that was kind of a mess because we had to deal with EPA and the water. You know, everything was right on the uh, intercoastal waterway, which is right on the Gulf of Mexico, right. maybe, maybe half mile further. But from the the way the guys and myself executed first on scene, from the time of dispatch to the time of water on the fire. Now, granted, this is six miles from my station where I'm at probably wow. eh, let's just say four for argument's sake and then probably at least three miles from the first due unit um we had from the time of dispatch to the time water on the fire was 10 minutes wow it's so, not bad at all yeah, it, we were we were we were fast so you know and that that comes from guys being in shape too you know fit to be uh fit for fire um, or FD fit, those guys, you right. know, they preach this stuff and, and it, it does pay dividends. I mean, we're, we're athletes. So, and I'm not picking on the fat people. I was, you know, I'm down 24 pounds right now. Cause I, you know, I see, I want to make a positive difference. Right. And, uh, so yeah, that's uh, one of the extensions that we've done. And then, you know, just trying to set the rigs up. I got some pictures of that on the site too, where we've bundled the hose and, and ready and then, um, cause we've had another instance, uh, actually my last shift, I was on the, um, the engine before I got promoted with my crew and I just switched shifts. We got a fire and they, um, got waved down. One of the guys got waved down by a bystander that was on the wrong block for the fire because it came in as an outside fire. It actually turned out to be, it was a trailer on fire and the, uh, the room had flashed in the same room where the air return was. So then the air return kicked on and pulled the fire underneath the, uh, the trailer and was actually having the outside of the trailer on fire while the inside of the trailer was on fire. Mm. And in that, in that case, uh, I was second due water supply and I told command I was going to go ahead and get in front and stretch the line to where, you know, sometimes you got to call an audible like, like that, especially if the guy's on the wrong block and, and, you know, we have 200 foot pre-connects. Right. So, you know, it, it makes a big difference. And then if we would have had, we didn't have that pack set up at that time on that engine for that nozzle and that, and that line to where them realizing that still knocking the fire down a little bit, but maybe not as much reach. They could have just ran back, grabbed this, threw it down, shut their nozzle up, disconnected that fog line, and then uh, reattached, you know, the other hose and just charge it because it's already got a nozzle on it. You don't have to think about anything. It's just, you know, it's, it's there. Right. And some of these rural apartments know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you're only going to stretch so much hose dry, especially if it's two and a half, a static load. That's a lot of work. You know, sure it's is. a lot of work. So if you're not ready for, you know, anything, one day anything will come and you won't be ready. Well, I think you, um, did, you made a very good point there. And that's that a couple of great points. One is the fact that you're a tactician. That's what you like. You like thinking about tactics for calls. A friend of the, our show who's been a previous guest was uh, Dr. Rich Gassaway, 
who does situational awareness matters. And one of the things he talked about when I started listening to his podcast is the fact that a good firefighter is always thinking in his mind, even when they're off duty and they're just driving around going going to the market to pick up the groceries for the week for the family, they're always thinking, what will I do if I see this happen? What are my first actions if I'm here and I'm not on duty, but I see this occur? Or uh, we get on the scene and I size up and this is what I see. And he said that that's probably one of the most important levels of situational awareness is that you always are thinking of in that sphere around you. And from what you've described, you're constantly doing that as, as the battalion chief. You're thinking of tactics for the type of calls that your company has run that you can base on, calls that you've heard about from others, and you say, well, let's see, I wonder how I would handle that with what we have if we had that call. And then the calls that just come to your mind. And you're always thinking, you're one step ahead. And the idea of that, of those two packs in that compartment, having that hose pack and the bag, the, the pump, the engineer's bag there to make quick change, that's all part of that, that continuing flow of your thought. Because now you've set it up for your crew to know exactly how they can do an extension under an emergency situation where they really, you know, you're, everybody's counting the seconds for more water to flow with the foam to flow. But you have them set up, set up not to fail because you've given them everything they need by planning in advance. And I think that's something that's so important in the fire service today is always being aware that, yeah, we may have just had a lot of trash calls and, and some uh, transits and, you know, a couple of little small fires here and there. But, boy, we haven't had a big fire in a long time. I don't know what, what's going to happen when we do it if we're ready for it. Well, you're making your team ready for it. There's, <laughs> there's no yeah. doubt about it. I, I mean, tell you, it's, it's funny because I've been doing this, gosh, working on 24 years, I think, now. And every time I come into work, if I'm able to, I try to take a different way into work in my district. So once I, I, I show up early and I try to take a different route and look at hydrant locations, look at houses, just look what's going on. Exactly. And things like that. And then, like, I also remember being a firefighter and, like, some of these chiefs that don't want to listen to the underlings, you know, you don't have to listen to them a point. But when they're talking and then they say something and then it's not correct, not just, like, you know, just you know browbeating them but um i try to educate the guys on why i'm thinking one way right. and then it you know then it instills some 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 talk and then like around the table we'll actually get the dry erase board especially with the new ones as they're sitting at the table in between calls or something and we'll draw out i'm like all right i'm gonna draw something out you know and they're you know it's like etch-a-sketch and i'm and people don't know what <laughs> etch-a-sketch is that they can google it um right. but uh <laughs> you know i'll drop a little mock plan in the streets and the buildings. Okay. What do you do if you, if you're doing this and here's your water supply and uh, how are you setting up your first due or your second due or, you know, and then just kind of, cause it, it mentally prepares them. And then, uh, uh, chief Shannon stones, a friend of mine up, uh, Fort Walton beach. And I love talking to those guys up there. You know, he said, uh, what was the word he used? He stress inoculation. Mm. So under stress, you're not going to be able to perform certain functions. Right. So let's, let's let's not make it harder you know like uh when we're setting up our um you got to think like a fireman 
uh, when we're setting up our high-rise packs. I went with a one-inch tip because that's what's good for our area. 150-foot hose lengths, so we don't have to carry three sections of hose. We carry two, right. and then it's divided so one guy doesn't have 100 feet on his back another guy doesn't have 50 so you know they're fighting for the 54 at the 50 footer at the engine but no <laughs> um I, I wanted to go inch and eight tip with the seven eighths tip and i said you know what you got to think like a fireman because once a firefighter starts blowing the nozzle he is not going to change that tip out unless it's some overhaul function right or you know factor so i was like let's just go right in the middle we'll do an inch inch tip if we need more gallonage, like Kurt, Kurt Isaacson said, he's a great technician. I love talking to Kurt. He, uh, he's like, I can overpump it or I can underpump it. But I'm still within that realm. And if I overpump it, I get a higher pressurized straight stream, you know, solid, solid stream, you know, uh, hit of water that's got some, some, some knockdown behind it, behind it. And you can actually, you know, do hydraulic ventilation, as you want to call it, right. that type of stuff. Sure. So I try to set it up to where it's, and I don't want to use the word idiot-proof, fireman-proof, or whatever, but just so it's like we train on this, we do this, and then under sheer stress, you know, you're going to perform because we've trained you and and try to simplify it to a point to where there's, you get too many moving parts, firefighters are not going to do that, especially under a stress situation. It's just, it's not going to happen. Right. You know, they got guys die on the nozzle all the time. They said death, you know, death on the nozzle. They don't open it up because we've been taught to pencil the streams or not open up. And, you know, with all the volatile fuels that we have nowadays, you know, they're burning faster, flashing faster, oh, yeah. you know, and lightweight building construction, it's, it's failing faster. So that's, that's what I think about. I mean, it's, and, in, you know, trying to go back to our other subject, as far as extending the lines is, um, I had to make a call on this, you know, this, uh, this uh, brush fire, urban interface fire, it's where like they had a bunch of synthetic decking involved uh, on the boardwalk, and that, that essentially led all the way back to the um, the, the clubhouse, essentially with the pool and everything. This you know fifty, sixty thousand square foot facility, you know, under air. Uh-huh. So they uh, they wanted to get the brush trucks in place, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and stretch a line because it's a it's a really extremely long line. I had twenty something couplings, twenty two, twenty four couplings from the engine to where we could tie into Y off wow. to get some hand lines in there, all by hand. And as the brush trucks were trying to get in place because this thing was really remote, they were able to get up to it, but it was so thick they weren't able to penetrate into where they could be effective. So, you know, even if you just lay it on the ground, some people might, you know. Maybe not every time, you know, you need to do it, but if you do it and you need it, you got it, you're already there versus like you can pick up dry hose, you know, uh, not only that, the remote of this, uh, the rope remoteness, I'm trying to say the word remoteness of this area, as far as having those brush trucks walking back out and risking tearing up something or, or flipping it over with an off camber, you know, slope or something right. is that we are the water supply there. So when they're out of water, we can just feed them water and then keep pushing the fire out, you know, and just keep chasing it. So uh, come to find out, I could hear the brush trucks, but I couldn't, I couldn't see them, and the fire wasn't getting any lower, and it was heavy fuels, uh, crowning opportunities, wind was shifting and swirling, and this was this came in at nine thirty at night, and I think we finished up around quarter to five in the morning. Wow! So we were up all, and you know we had six or seven hundred feet of hand line off of that Y operating in the woods, and that was the difference, you know. And my my lieutenant's like, "You sure you want to do this?" I'm like, "Yep." Let's just do it. Did the and, state uh, come in to help, or the county or the state come in to help uh, with that bigger fire? 
Uh, well, yeah, we uh, we had mutual aid units. I mean, it was only three acres, but the I think they did about probably one hundred and fifty thousand to two hundred thousand dollars worth of damage on their boardwalk, and they almost consumed like a fifteen to twenty thousand dollar little screened in porch. But the biggest thing I was worried about was the um, was the clubhouse because if that that went, you know, then we're going to have any bigger problems if we don't stop it here. Oh sure. And that plastic synthetic decking, and that you know, we pulled our. We had 600 feet, or actually 400 feet, on the rear of an exposure line. We pulled that first until we ran out of hose, and then we disconnected the two and a half on the rear and pulled that. And then every piece of hose that we had that was um, in the storage cabinet, which is about four sections, so that's another couple hundred feet. And then as units started coming in, we just had them bringing hose to the rear. And then once we got our uh, two and a half all the way out to the back, um, then we branched off of that with a couple inch and three quarters. With some uh, with some low pressure nozzles, we run 75 at 150s, and then started you know knocking the fire down at strategic points to keep it out of the uh, the trees. And once we got it all out of the trees, as far as for the crowning effect, and moving forward with that. But you know, having those lines already pre connected on the rear, you know, to start laying it out made a big difference. Oh sure. And you know, so and at night, uh, you know, I was never a fan of wearing one of those box lights like uh, who is it? Uh, John Lockwood out of Fort Myers. Um, you know, Eric Wheaton, Venner Search, uh, Chief Ike, Chief Chief Stone, and I got one. And I'm telling you what, that was a saving grace that night because I was wearing that stupid thing, and I could see everything. I was falling in the holes. You know, I was trying to guide my guys in with the brush trucks that didn't work. You know, and that's when we started pulling that line once it was so remote. And you just can't be afraid to lay. At the end of the day, you can't be afraid to lay the line on the ground. You might have to pick it up. You might get some repercussions, but, you know, what if? So I'm always thinking about the what ifs. And um, guys don't like picking up hose. Well, that's too bad. So, well, so, so listen, but, it's better to have <laughs> it. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Well, that's that's my that's my theory. Yeah, that's everything in the fire service is really about that. I interviewed Chief Jason uh, Moore from um, Indiana, uh, Bloomington, Indiana, who went to Africa to Sierra Leone to do what's called mutual, little mutual aid with their fire nationalized fire force, and mm-hmm. I said, "Well, do they, they have no. I mean, they're barely equipped with anything. They have old Chinese and old German fire trucks that are falling apart, rusted through." And there's another gentleman, uh, the last name also more. He works for a company, called, uh, an organization called Africa Fire Mission, and they work to try to get tools and products over you know even stuff that we would throw out uh and and as simple for example as simple as a come along they don't have a come they've they've never been able to do extrication with a come along they certainly don't have any any um hydraulic tools so i said well what about you know something you know even a come along would help because you know what they would jump head over heels if they could get a come along they don't even have that and so when you think about the tools that we do have here and in, in other areas against what our brothers and sisters in remote locations, like a place like Sierra Leone, torn by civil war and, and, and poverty, yet these men there re- still dedicate themselves to being the fire force in, in their country because it's a nationalized rather than a community like we have here in this, in this country. But they have very little. Um, so when you talk about being ready for it by laying out that two and a half, you're absolutely right. 
yeah, maybe we don't like the pickup hose and maybe it takes us longer and we have to bend and lift. And But you know what? Imagine what it would have been like had you not laid the hose out and then all of a sudden that thing flared up and you said that that porch is going, we need that hose, go lay it now. Well, you would have had everybody running around like the, the, the Marx Brothers. So, right. So would you would your your thought of thinking ahead and planning, even driving around, when you said that reminded me of Ryan Pennington, who the hoarders, the hoarders, right? We're talking about the hoarders, and one of the things that he taught the first time he was on the show was that you don't have to worry necessarily you yourself on the inside, because when you travel around your community, if you know what to look for, you're going to be able to tell who might be a hoarder in your community. But you just can't drive the same way every day. And you brought up the fact that you don't do that. You do exactly what he says. You you tour each day that you go to work. You tour part of your response district to look at its layout, look what's there, what's not there. And with the hoarding, he said, you can see the stuff that's around the outside. You'll see things. And also you make a deal with uh, police and EMS because they do a lot of the the illness calls and repeat call, frequent flyer calls, and they can make a note to when they get back from a call if they saw a hoarding situation, just to send you a text message or tell you check out fourteen thirteen Locust Avenue. I think we might have a hoarding problem here, and if everybody's on that same page, fire, police, I mean fire, EMS, and police, then you have a com- now you have a community of first responders working together to pre-plan and think of tactics in advance rather than just all sitting on your head as the as a battalion chief or the chief of the department, et cetera. And I think that's a great idea because the fact that you drive around your district in a different manner every time you come to work to keep you fresh and and knowing exactly what's going on because you may not even get there when you when the company's to- toned out for a call right in that area. Yeah, we had a few guys that weren't on duty that day when we had the uh, brush fire that was backed up to that building. And we actually went out there uh, with the guys that weren't there just to talk about it. Right. You know, revisit it, make sure we didn't have any flare-ups, but revisit it the next shift. And uh, some of the guys that weren't there, we talked about tactics and why we did this and why we laid it out. And then this guy, as we're walking out there, this guy pulls up with a flat tire. So <laughs> then we were talking to him, so then we're changing this flat tire. So we get them all squared away, and then we, you know, we walk back there, and we're we're probably, probably I don't know, an eighth of a mile back in the woods, and then uh, we talk about it, and then we're just about ready to leave, and then we all get toned out for another call on the island, so we're all running down the boardwalk. So, <laughs> you know, you can't be afraid to get out there and right look at stuff, even though you're busy, and you know that's that's the one thing about my guys I try to instill in them is get out, take some time when you're on an EMS call you see something like say something i try to educate the cops a lot because we have a lot of turnover not turnover but re- retirees that are going out and you get to a call and the first thing they're doing is clogging up you know no offense clogging up the front of the house right so, you know and you got to get on the radio or try to get them to move or whatever and um and they just don't know it's not like they're trying to do it on purpose exactly. they're trying to help out but, exactly you know we educate them you know and uh just try to you know like everything that i know i try to teach other people whether it's fixing something at the station, working on the engine, you know, um, tool-wise, anything like that. Um, Aaron uh, Fields, and I, you know, refer back to him 
uh, said, don't lord and hoard the information. Let everybody know. So then that we all know. And then, you know, because they might be in a different role, you know, differently on this job versus the next job. And I tell you that the biggest one of the biggest influences in my life, I think, was when I started going to the high rise conference up in Pensacola and kind of just really slipped my spark off. And I had just got around to reading um, Andy Fredericks, the book of Andy Fredericks, I think, by Gary Lane. He took all the fire engineering articles, engineering articles that Andy wrote and compiled them in a PDF. And you can actually search it online and find it. And it's a free download. And it's about 230-something pages of Andy. And, um, you know, essentially speaking from the grave, but maybe it doesn't work for everybody, but, like, some of the things that he mentions that make sense that that you can apply to your district and maybe make it better or your company more efficient or, or like, thinking outside the box because what if this happens and we can do this? And you already pre you know, pre-planned a game in your head to where you have certain things. Now, not everything's going to fit in that box, right. so to speak, as much as people would like it to fit in there. But, you know, something happens and, and you and you uh, you can resource that information that you stored and worked with and you're not in panic now because you kind of sort of have a game plan. Maybe you have to tweak it a little bit as you go, but you got something versus just locking up on scene. Right. Um, you know, not to harp on Polk County, they had an extremely long response going out to them. And they're in the yeah. country, and I wasn't there. But the only thing I heard from the audio, and I, and it was heart wrenching audio that I listened it, to. It was, yeah. Is the the size up, and like uh, Mike Gagliano, you know, where are the survivable spaces? Other classes, where are the survivable spaces in this? Mm-hmm. And even though they were going defensive, and I don't know why or whatever, that's they they made a decision. They got to stick with it. Um, the, it didn't sound like there was a good 360 size up, or at least a couple yeah. sides of the building, you know, versus the back and, uh, you know, getting a, a view of it. Maybe you can't get a total view of it. There's like some structuring away, but at least get three sides. Um, you know, the, the size up is going to be key because if you just start lobbing stuff at it, then you're really, you know, choke, making choke points for your, you know, later on tactical decisions versus, you know, sure. first on, you know, as they say, this, the first line goes, the fire goes kind of thing. Right. You know, and we can armchair quarterback stuff like that. But the, I, I think the biggest takeaway from that is, is, uh, you know, getting a good size up and then the resources coming and you, you can't, you can't win them all either. So I know there's some stuff that I don't want to talk about, about Polk County that I would have done differently. And that's me armchair quarterbacking it. But you know what? That gets me ready for the next one. Exactly. Um, DJ Stone up in Fort Walton, captain up there, good friend of mine, visit him whenever I can. You know, he made that grab on that vacant, you know, it just goes back to, you know, that was, a, I believe that was pretty long late to get to that. And, you know, it ain't clear until we say it's clear. And mm-hmm. anybody says, you know, everybody's out. Well, people are pretty evil nowadays and you can't, you know, you have to go with what you know. And when we say it's clear, it's clear type of thing to where, you know, I got to be able to sleep at night. Right. You know, and as a firefighter, um, you know, everybody does their engine checks. As a firefighter, it used to take me an hour and a half to check out my rig. And uh, and I went through everything because I knew at 2.30 in the morning, if one piece of equipment didn't work or was out of service or it was whatever, I could live with myself if somebody died because of, you know, if it didn't run that time. But I ran everything this morning. So I could, you know, emotionally it sucks, but physically or emotionally it sucks, but then emotionally you can also 
you know, justify it because you did your due diligence. Exactly. At the end of the day, you did everything you did to prevent it. And sometimes crap happens and it's just, it is what it is. Right. So. All right. This would be a great place for a break. And then we come yeah. back. What I'd like to do when we come back, I'd like to talk, have you talk about your high-rise prep, because I know that's very, very important to you. You mentioned it earlier in, in the podcast today. You mentioned it at uh, the school, the firefighting school in, in uh, Fort Myers last uh, last fall. So I'd like to talk, you will discuss that a little bit, because I know you, that's very important to you, and you're always thinking ahead on that. So we'll be right back, folks, with our guest, Battalion Chief Scott Blanchard, right after these messages. Please stay tuned. The tone sound and the dispatcher announces stations 14 and 16, working residential structure. That was all you needed to hear. You jump up from your chair, head to the engine, and climb into the jump seat. As the queue screams, you take stock of your PPE, bunker pants, check, turnout coat, check, hood, check, gloves, check, escape line, check, SCBA strapped on, you're ready. Upon arrival, you jump off the apparatus, grab the loops of the red cross lay, and head for the open front door, where smoke is pouring out. You make sure your buddy's behind you. You crouch low and make your way inside. You trust the SCBA mask hanging on your tool belt. What? Stop everything. What the hell are you thinking? You see it's a working room and contents fire, and the smoke is banking down almost to the floor. Who do you think you are, Superman? One breath of that crap and the smoke will damage you in some way, guaranteed. All the soot, carbon, carcinogens, and other outgassing materials will enter your body through the pores on your unprotected face. Don't be the domino, the first person down that forces everyone else to change their tasks to take care of you. Always remember, face peace on. You have comrades depending on you and a family to go home to. Face peace on. No matter where we live or no matter the season, there is always work to be done that makes us sweat. Just how can we keep cool? Well, Hennessy Distributing has the answer. Cool towels. Cool towels are 100% cotton towel and pre-moistened with all natural ingredients. The best part? No water is needed. Just open your cool towel pack, remove the towel and give it a couple of shakes and you're all set. Wrap it around your neck like a kerchief Wipe your face, arms, neck, or any exposed skin, and it is approximately 20 to 30 degrees below the ambient temperature. Wait, did it warm up? No problem. Just shake it a couple of times again, and Cool Towel delivers its refreshing cool touch all over again. When the cooling mixture has expired, use your Cool Towel as you would any cloth or rag around the house. Because it is manufactured from 100% cotton, your Cool Towel is 100% recyclable. For more information or to get your cool towel today, visit www.cooltowel.com or call 1-800-918-8323. Remember, you're going to work and you're going to sweat. Make cool towel your answer to keeping cool. You're ready to call it a night. The kids are tucked in, the lights are out, and the dog's in the den. Seems all is calm. But stop. It's not all right. To keep you and your family safe in the event of a fire, we're advising you to close before you doze. Close your bedroom doors when you go to sleep. Why? Because closed doors dramatically decrease heat and carbon monoxide levels, which provide trapped occupants more time for help to arrive. And closed doors can slow the spread of the fire, increase oxygen levels, and decrease temperatures dramatically. You've invested in smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. You've practiced fire escape plans with your family. Now learn another important way to protect all of you. Close before you doze. Also remember, 
If you are able to escape, make sure the last one out closes the main door. Remember, close before you doze. This message is brought to you by the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute, closebeforeyoudoze.org, your local fire department, and this podcaster. And welcome back to this episode of Five Alum Task Force, news and issues for first responders. And my guest today is Battalion Chief Scott Blanchard with the Venice Fire Department. No, he is not coming to me from Italy. He is coming to me from the lovely community of Venice on Florida's West Coast, which I've not had the chance to visit yet, but it is on the bucket list to go further north than, uh, than Fort Myers and Naples and get, get up to uh, Venice and uh, Capri Isle and stuff like that to see that. So, Chief, off offline, just off air, we were just talking a little bit about what happens. Sometimes we have to correct a firefighter when you're an officer or a chief. And we talked about that you love being a teacher, and I've always been a teacher, and that there are ways to correct. You know, you can give somebody just a gib slap for making a mistake along the back of the head, but you have, you have a different way of, of handling that. Why don't you tell that to the listeners, please? You know, like we were saying before, I, I try to teach everybody what I know, but um, for the opportunity time that, like, you know, if, if they're unfamiliar with something or they screw something up, you know, they they only know what they know. Right. If they don't know, then we got to, you know, educate them. And I, I try to do the same thing with, like, fire alarms dealing with the community. I try not to get mad. I go, listen, this is the situation, you know. Mm-hmm. And then this is the way I want it done. And even guys coming on my shifts from other shifts. And they'll say, oh, well, this is what we normally do. I says, okay. I says, so when you're working on my shift, you know, I want to talk to you. I want to educate you. And then if you do it again, you know, then we're going to, you know, how do I say escalate, but right. not on scene back at the station. Right. You know, maybe if it's, you know, if it's with the whole company, then, you know, it's, it's going to be a round table. But if it's only with like a one or two individuals, pulling them to the side and, and just explaining it because maybe they don't know. Right. We, um, sure. you know, we used to have a big problem with uh, medics when they would come in and uh, people would be like, oh, this guy's a jerk or whatever. And it's like, well, this guy operates a certain way. And so we just got the facet of, hey, look, this is the way we normally do it. So before the calls, how do you want us to do it? So then when we have a bad call or a trauma or whatever, maybe he sets the bag up a little differently than the other guy or stores things differently because, you know, it's like he's setting up his engine. He sets it up for whatever is most proficient for him to do his job so it's second nature. Right. Uh, and that's, that's the way I, I try to take from it to where, like, you know, yes, I am a fair and just, I you know, leader or try to be i try to listen to my firefighters when they say something not just discredit because hey look they're a firefighter like we you know had issues with positive pressure when we were doing things like that that like i had guys that were above me like no they're trying to open up whole house where you know positive pressure is no you open up a a big door or if you got two openings stack the fans and you have a little exhaust opening and then you systematically you know clear the building of smoke by opening up one door or window or what have you at a time to you know to do it sure so that's one of the things I learned from that leader. You know, the, the thing about bad leaders is you can learn a lot of what not to do. So <laughs> exactly. if you want to learn a lot, surround yourself with some bad leaders and then having a couple of good leaders that you can call or talk on social media about or with that will uh, enhance you as an officer. And then, you know, um, making some of those officer challenges that command officer boot camp. And I, you know, I don't get paid anything from Kurt, but I have taken that class. I'm probably going to take it again next year. Um, because there's always something changing and, um, 
that is a great, great week of class for guys that are either a filling officer riding up, a lieutenant riding up the battalion, you know, a battalion, or just, you know, you're a lieutenant, you're a fire, you know, it's, it's all encompassing for that, that upper, you know, three positions, or maybe there's a captain in there. We don't have any captains. I'd love to get one here, but we don't have one yet to, um, to get that training. And, and he has some resources. And if you, you know, email Kurt or message him on Facebook, you know, he will get back to you. Mike, you know, he's a busy guy, but he will get back to you. Or some of these other guys that, um, you know, like, uh, Mike Turpak, he had him in there. Um, Mike Gagliano, um, Mike, uh, gosh, I'm having a brain fart from Buffalo, Mike Lombardo, you know, these guys that he brings in and everyone's like, well, why do you keep going to these conferences? And like, I've hit, I think I missed the high rise conference the first year and I've been back ever since. And I said, you think it's the same, but this is a very dynamic business that we're in. And I always learn something, whether it's like, I've heard all this before. I don't roll my eyes. It's just a refresher for me. And then I pick up one or two things. Sure. My like, golly, you know, what about that? All right, cool. That's good. Mike Turpak, you know, he's like, Hey, look, if you got construction going on in your district, those guys don't care about the fire department. You need to get out there when you're on shift or before shift and look and see maybe they move the uh, portable standpipe system or the temporary standpipe system to a different area because, you know, they don't care five o'clock or whatever hits and you know, they're gone. And, you know, maybe it's locked up behind the gate now. And like, I was just out on one the other day where we had to, you know, they keep encroaching on our access for the ladder truck and they need to push it back three feet because they keep pushing the fence out and we keep pushing it back. So it's this constant little tug of war. Yeah. But, um, so I stick the fire marshal on them, you know, I try to educate them. And then I just say, Hey, look, you know, Jack, the fire marshal, I says, can you go out and just talk to them? You know, I want him with a hammer. We're, they're talking nicely, but if something happens, you know, if we tear stuff up, it's going to be on them because we've already, you know, talked about this and notified and uh, set up a couple of different uh, venues, even with the public to where, look, if you guys don't know, and you got a new crew, email us, here's my card. We will set up some training for you and your security team or training for you and your, 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 your association so that like they know what to do in, in a fire, you know, in like in a high rise or in a, a community center or a nursing home or what have you to where, you know, they're not flooding the stairwells trying to get out because if they sheltered in place, we can get the line in place really fast, knock down the fire, contain it to one floor and, you know, people not getting hurt. And exactly. we have a very elderly population here in Venice. And it, you know, increases and fluxes, uh, depending on the environmental conditions up north. Usually, if it's bad up there, they hang out longer. If it's nice up there, you know, they'll uh, they'll go home a little sooner. So that's what we run into uh, down here. And that's that's just the way my mentality is. I I had four kids, still have four kids, <laughs> and you know, I'm not the best dad. I uh, I play good cop and bad cop with my wife. So she's usually good cop. I'm bad cop, and then somewhere in the middle, you know. You know, there's the middle ground. Sure. So she keeps me in check. I keep her in check. You know, probably her more than me. She keeps me in check. Because I don't think you get anywhere by yelling. Exactly. And, you know, it just goes, they just, they just tone you out. Exactly. But, exactly. You know, when they screw up, we try to get to like, um, and hey, look, this is what I want done. And then think about this. And then like uh, with my guys that are coming up and riding on the truck that are my senior firefighters that aren't like uh, filling approved yet, but I always try to keep a senior guy or a filling officer on my ladder truck just so I have some sort of command or uh, uh, not command control, but some sort of leadership control on that unit. Right. And I'll ask, Hey, what, why'd you park like this? And he goes, Oh yeah, 
I knew you were going to ask me that, you know, <laughs> he was like, I was going to do this, this and stage here and I'm out of the way. And then the engines could go underneath it. We could still get to the roof and then just set it up really fast. I'm like, hey, all right, good answer. I like it. As long as you're thinking, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong or right. Cause there's no fire here, but we're, you know, we're training on, on seeing it get unknowns. I make the ladder truck, set the truck up, you know, Hey, go check out the roof. We're on an unknown. We don't know what's going on. Go tell me it'd be good practice anyways. You know, take one of the guys from the other units or whatever, and we'll, you know, hook you up a team of four and just go check it out. And not only that, you're going to, you know, you're, uh, you're going to get a good look at the roof and maybe you haven't been up there in a few years and, you know, just get a good layout. So if this thing is on fire later on, you know, we can actually do something and you'll be more, you'll be more comfortable right. going into it in panic mode. So. Right. Well, that, you know, that's the best way. Like I said before, to me, teaching is the best way of correcting someone else's mistake. You know, when you're a teacher in a classroom and a kid makes a little mistake on a paper or a test, you may mark it wrong, but you also, you know, you're not going to throw out the whole paper or you're not going to send the kid to the office because you got one answer wrong, but you can help him or her by simply giving them, when you review it, give them the correct answer and let them learn from the experience rather than look at, a look at that as a punitive experience because then they're going to think that almost anything educational becomes punitive. We don't want that. We don't want to cultivate that kind of an attitude in whether it's our kids or uh, our professionals, no matter what the profession is. We, we don't want them to think that the education part of the job is to browbeat in a punitive situation. Uh, we just released this morning a, a a podcast with Erica Wood regarding proper rehab on scene. And the fact that oftentimes a lot of firefighters look at rehab, if they have to, being forced to go to rehab is something punitive. Why can't I go back in the fire? Nobody said you can't. It's just, we just want to make sure you're okay to go, to go back in first. And that's just a whole new learning curve. So with that, and, and what you, something that you mentioned in your thing, as a perfect segue to go to what we're, also, to add on to the topic of the stretches, I know that uh, you're very exacting as far as your pre-planning for your high-rises. And as you said, from your uh, that the population, you have a pretty good-sized snowbird uh, population. And by the way, if you're listening to us in the country in, in Europe, snowbirds are is a term we use for people who come from colder climates. And- Usually the north, northeast, maybe Midwest, like Chicago, and then they come down to somewhere in South Florida for either a couple of weeks or they spend a couple of months here during the break. I know it's not a very necessarily a common term in other countries, but since we have listeners in forty countries, sometimes we have got to clear up a ter- simple term that we take <laughs> we take for granted. So Some in local lingo, right? So in Chief Blanchard's district, they do have a lot of. Snowbirds, a lot of people who come for the winter season or come down, not for the whole season, maybe for a month, six weeks. And when you bring in an older population that does this, then you also have to consider how that changes your fire demographic or emergency demographics. Because you're going to have a lot of medical calls, you're going to have some strange fire calls, and you're going to wind up once in a while with a a real work and fire in these groups. So let's talk, uh, Chief, a little bit about your concept of pre-planning for the high-rises and how that ties in with stretching in your hoses. Well, anytime we run like, uh, you know, uh, what's it, 
chimes and bells and bells and strobes or whatever you want to call it, um, the typical fire alarm calls. And then uh, even as an engine officer, I um, we go there for a medical call. We'll check the building out afterwards, you know, if we don't have to help transport or cardiac right. arrest or whatever. And then I instilled in my crews, I was like, I want the Knox box keys checked every time you go there on the way out. Unless you've just done it like last shift or whatever. Right. You know, because they'll take your locks on and then you don't know what's bad and, until you, you figure it out. So, you know, we always did that. And then I started taking guys, um, you know, elevators are crazy if you don't understand them, but it's even crazier if you don't understand them and you're under stress and you got a fire in an upper floor and you really like to utilize that to get equipment up. Right. Uh, now is not the time. So um, let's see, last. I want to say not last ship, ship before last, we had a high rise type scenario. It didn't turn out, turned out to be a water leak on the sixth floor, but it came in that uh, people are actually clearing the floor and reporting orders of smoke from that floor. So until it's, you know, deemed not a fire, I treat it like a fire and we started stacking guys in there, uh, accordingly. And I actually took, um, lobby control and because we're a limited resource, limited manpower, um, we, uh, I took elevator ops and I took lobby control and I started shuttling people up to upper floors, established the, uh, established the, uh, you know, standpipe or the FTC connection for the standpipe su- supported that, uh, started dropping people off and, uh, you know, different floors, double checking them and, uh, you know, spreading our resources out until we figured out otherwise. And then talk to the uh, building manager, you know, the silencing alarm or set the alarm before we arrived. Because normally we get, uh, you know, the strobes and bells on the outside of it, and there was nothing going on when we pulled up on the scene. But they did report they had certain alarms going off, and certain alarms weren't going off. So they had an issue with their system, whether it was shorted out from the water leak or not. But, you know, double-checking that stuff. Um, Mike Posner, great guy. We're going to have him down here in Florida, I think, in August. I'm going to try to set it up to uh, do an elevator class. And, you know getting that typical call like that and it was just outside the uh the elevator shaft and anytime you get water into an elevator shaft it's not a good thing and you don't want to use it so you know all these things all these little building blocks you know start adding up and um just to give you a little history i'm sorry i got off track uh venice we have about 20 something thousand residents in the city and we have a population influx of probably somewhere between five to six maybe even you know nowadays because it's so busy thousand people that influx in here whether there's no birds visitors uh what have you because it's a it's a small town community atmosphere that you know the nice downtown and stuff and they finally got some of the roads you know uh, updated and things of that nature so we have quite the the swing from 19 to 20 thousand in the summer all the way up to you know it could be as high as 27,000 people you know influx so our calls have ramped up since I've been here. When we had a busy year, it was like 1,100 calls. Now we're running almost 4,000. So um, that being said, you know, we're always trying to improve things or make it easier for us or, and uh, actually sit down with the people that are in these buildings and try to inform them of what they need to do right. before this happens. So, you know, and that was another teaching moment where that guy had set the alarm, and I said, listen, I'm going to write this all out on the alarm sheet. And I have you sign it and the president sign it because you reset the system, okay? And you're you're halting an evacuation. So essentially, as soon as you do that, you're taking responsibility for everything that happens in that building because you halted an evacuation. So thank God it wasn't a fire. Right. But if 
and what happened uh, legally, you're responsible. So just so you know, we're going to talk about this. And I said, here's my business card. If you guys want to come over, we'll do a training, an informative training, or train the trainer with each building. There's three buildings in this little complex, that type of stuff. And then it lets my guys get their uh, eyes, ears, and hands on things and the layout of the building to where we do have a call like that. We already, you know, we're kind of familiar. We can't memorize every building. Sure. But, you know. Worst case scenario with with my ship, what usually happens is we'll do this training, and then two weeks later we'll actually, or that week we'll actually end up having to do something with it. It's it's I don't know how it works that way, but that's that's the way it's been going since I've been promoted. So it's kind of crazy. Um, and then they get to estimate the stretches in the hallways. You know, they get to familiarize themselves with the standpipe layout. You know, where it's located. Uh, some of these buildings are smaller. Some of them have scissor stairs. Scissor stairs are horrible. Right. Every one of the landings has a standpipe on the interior landing where the elevator discharges or, you know, egress ele- or elevator ingress, elevator egress, each landing on each floor is, is right there. So right. knowing that, they know, like, when they go up to the stairwell, they got something they're going to have to come into the floor below and possibly pull that extra piece of two and a half to get them up because now you have to go out of the hallway, then back into the stairwell and then back up in, and then we talk about door control and things of that nature. Um, and I try to get them options because, you know, just because it's my way doesn't mean it's the way that you like to do things. Um, getting into the high-rise stuff, we try to keep our bag light. And I did a lot of talking to uh, Phil Gustin and Chief Ike and Shan Stone and uh, Brent Brooks from up in Toronto. Toronto has over 4,000 high-rises, so who better to talk to to keep everything lightweight wow. and mobile? So everybody else uses 50-foot lengths. Well, we don't have that sort of resources if it's the first few companies. So uh, we talked about earlier about 75-foot custom-cut lengths with a two-and-a-half-inch hose. The packs are equal, so it doesn't matter which one you grab. It all loads the same. And then, um, you know, it's hands-free. It goes over our air, air bottle. Uh, it's a Denver load. And then we try to keep our... Uh, our uh, high-rise bag as light as possible, getting the aluminum pipe wrenches and aluminum, you know, uh, gates and the, the the lightest gauge we could get and some tools. And it's about 21 and a half pounds because if you're going upstairs and the stair or the elevator is compromised, you're lugging all that stuff up. There. Oh, sure. You know, so you're lugging everything anyways. And then that, that came into the, the one inch with the, you know, the nozzle tip. So that's less less stuff um we used to carry an extra uh section of hose to get us out of the standpipe and i talked to my buddy brent and i'm like hey do you guys carry this and he goes no and i go okay why give me some reasons i can't get into this the, the box is too close i can't i can't hook my connection up what do i do and he goes you guys always carry irons right and i'm like yeah irons roof hook you know depending on what it is maybe in the can he goes i just open the box up you peel the box open if it's a fire you got smoke you can justify it you peel it open you, you make room for your hose stuff you beat it back hard enough, and you, you make your connections, and you go on with life. And I'm like, you know, something so simple. Now yeah. we don't have to carry another five or six pound piece of equipment because we're already carrying it. And we can just open it up if, it's, if we got something. Sure. And, you know, and and like I tell my guys, we train them with them. You know, um, high rise stuff is like, okay, we're setting straps up. Chief McGrail's got a great you know video out there on how the Denver hose loads. All the buckles and straps open up the same way when it's folded in a horseshoe on the ground. So in the dark or limited light, you know everything's opening up the same way. doesn't matter which way it opens as long as they're all open in one way or the other. Right. And, and things like that just simplify it. Like we got, you know, we got door chocks in the front and back of the bag, the wooden ones. If you like, use the wooden ones. Now we got the little spring clamps. So you can clamp them to the door 
and it maintains some sort of air control as far as you not get a lot of uh, smoke and stuff into the stairwell if it's a uh, secured stairwell or a, uh, a fire rated stairwell to where you're not getting that flow path to the upper floors and choking out people that might be coming down the stairwell you know using it for an exit and and things like that so i try to i try to make it simple but functional and then a lot of thought and everything we do, we, we run it, try it before we put it on the rig. So it's not like we go out there and watch a YouTube video and this is what we're doing. Like you talk to my guys and even as a chief, I'll put my gear on. And when they're training, I'm out there with them. It, it lets me do it proficiently to where if I'm doing something else or if I can, if I have to ride down on an engine that I am, I am good for riding down on an engine and, you know, and performing those functions and my guys, see that and it, you know makes them buy in even more oh sure so it, it's proof is in the pudding or lead by example is you know is what i try to do you know maybe i don't do it the best all the time but that's what i'm trying to achieve and the guys see it they, they see through the you know the mist of uh you know bs guys just talk about things it's the guys that when the rubber meets the road they're they're doing it you know exactly so Exactly. Well, I think from what you've said and how you set this up today in this discussion is that you are a firefighter who is dedicated to the task and you're using that, the rank that you have to share the information and so that your team, the guys who serve with you on, on your shift, know exactly Everybody who's going to serve on that shift knows exactly the same thing. You're not running around like the Three Stooges when you get on a fire scene. Well, where's that box? Where do I get this thing at? Where do I get that thing at? We don't have the time for that, especially, as you mentioned in the first segment, that things are flashing over much more quickly. You know, we used to have that that sometimes a 10 to 20 minute leeway to, to respond on a call. We don't have that today. We're lucky, and we have a, a limit of three to seven minutes when they can things flash over with all the the new products that are being used in furniture and everything else we bring into our homes and our offices today. All these organic compounds are being used that add high volatility to everything around us if it if it's impinged on by fire, and if we're not ready to to fight those fires, then we're doomed. We're doomed to failure. And, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and and I and I see you as a fire service leader who doesn't want to see that happen and is proactive on a not on just oh let's do a one training like once a month we'll, we'll take them. No, you're proactive on a, basically a daily basis to make sure your troops know know their stuff to the best of their ability because someone's life could and often does rely on that. Yeah. And, um, I forgot to put my bio. I also teach at, um, the Inglewood fire training center in Inglewood. And, um, you know, when I was going through school, it was kind of like some of the teachers were more passionate about it than others. And I try to give them the best bang for their buck. So if I'm actually doing the, the subject, I read the chapter or, or breeze through the chapter and hit the high points and look at some of the stuff that might've changed and try to focus in on things that change because I already known, you know, multiple things. And then if they're having issues with stuff is we go out and do it. And like, I'll be the guy that like stays after class or if you want to show up early for class and you're having an issue and you know, I'm coming in to get with me and I'll work with you. And then like, we used to be able to bring them up to the station, work with them too. Also up here. 
uh, you know, for legal reasons, they won't let us do that anymore. Somebody gets hurt, whatnot. But right. that's the kind of thing, like, they see that, you know, and they see people are more passionate. I just see you surround your, you know, yourself with people that are passionate about this and not just, this is not just the job. Right. I mean, it's a lot, so to speak, for 24 hours. And, I mean, you don't want to be the person that sucks. Nobody wants to be that person. Absolutely. And it just doesn't come from osmosis, you know what I mean? I, I had a point, but now it's gone, but I'll probably think about it here in a second. You know, and the new people see it, you know, and I've had people come and go and train people and come and go and like, you know, and they know they they can see through the the, the sea of uh, BS, if you, if you will, the people that are just talking about it and the people that are actually doing it. Right. And if, um, you know, if, if you could do anything, read as much as you can. Don't take it for granted. Ask questions. Fire engineering, you know, Firehouse Magazine. You know, I, I mentioned that Andy Fredericks one. I've gotten so much stuff from that. Going back to extending the hose line, Andy was a, a proponent of, like, getting a rice. I don't know if you've heard that terminology, but it's embedded in that those articles that he wrote back in Fire Engineering. And, you know, it was a rapid intervention uh, crew engine. And I teach Ladders for Life with uh, Barry Spinweber down at uh, the oh. Great Florida Fire School. Right. And we, yeah. we started loading it up, and I brought some extra hose and some nozzles down there. And I said, listen, if you have a writ, you, you know, you got one guy that's probably sizing up the building, maybe softening the building. And uh, Andy made great points in his book. And what they would do is they would grab a length of hose or maybe two lengths of hose, depending on the stretch, have it pre-connected on the nozzle and drag the ladder to the rear with their saws, with their hooks, with whatever they needed with that hose line. So if the hose team couldn't get to it or the exposure line couldn't get to it, now they need to go interior with the exposure line. You know, they had an extra hundred feet right. already in the, you know, they already had it in the game and it's boom, boom, boom real quick. And you're, and you're there versus, you know, maybe you have to walk or run 50 yards of the engine, 50 yards back. How much time is, you know, has that sure. taken? And then you have to, source of things off of the rig if it's already gone and then you're you know you're you're piecemealing things together well that all takes time and it seems a lot slower when you're doing it but the clock is you know the clock's ticking always is yeah so um you know uh just a word of encouragement for everybody out there that like you know hey you might hit resistance um but if you're trying to change something and you do your homework and you get your information i call it chopping wood um Sooner or later, the tree's going to fall, and the tree being whatever you're trying to accomplish. You know, every couple of shifts, if I, you know, I keep asking for things, and this is why we run a call, and, hey, you know, if we'd have had this on this call, we could have done X, Y, Z. And I take a, take a few more swings of the axe out of that tree, and sooner or later, that thing's a toothpick, and it's coming down, and we get what we need. But, you know, it, it takes time, so don't get discouraged, but just keep pressing forward, and people, people will see. And as long as you're pressing forward with the right information and uh, the right amount of uh, passion that you have and for the right purpose, not just because it's cool. Right. Like, Oh, this is, this is the point I want to make, you know, auto mechanics, um, buy their own tools, you know, and every fire department can't buy the latest and greatest tools for everybody. Um, if your department lets you carry tools or extra gear, um, I treat it like, you know, I have my own personal set of irons on the, on the, on my uh, battalion vehicle. And they're like, you know, I used to get a hard time about, Hey, you're actually thinking you're going to use that. I said, no, but the incoming rescue might need to use it. And I might need to use them for Rick or for a rescue, or for venting a window. And if it's right here at the car when I give them an assignment, I just hand them my tools, and they, they, they need to get my task done because I have limited staffing. So now I've enabled them 
with the tools and resources they need instead of trying to run around and piecemeal something from, you know, several engines that might be, you know, 100, 150 feet down the road, depending on the, uh, the access of the, the road we're on. You know, right. you start lining up vehicles and, you know, you could, you could be walking a long way. You know, um, another big thing that we did as far as the stretches and stuff like that, just, just in the 360s is when we go to a county fire and I was on the engine, we would, I would always look at how else can I get in there? Cause I know everybody else is going in the normal way uh, and we would go good down point. and square block and come in maybe, maybe a hundred yards further South down if it wasn't a dead end road. And we pull right up to the scene right in front of the first due engine and we're already going to work. And the other guys that, you know, are, you know, with the first due crew or the second alarm, you know, they're still walking up and you're geared up, ready to go. And you go over there and get assignment right away. So you get more work, you know, guys that want to work, do that. You know, it's a little, little thing I always used to do because, you know, we're going mutual aid. So we got a little bit more extra response time. Let me see what we can find in the grid book and we'll get you in the back door and boom, we're right there in the action. So great idea. Great yeah. idea. So, yeah. I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert. I just, uh, I like, I like talking about this stuff. I like doing this stuff and I always learn something from the guys, but also take time to learn, listen to those old salts. I got some guys where uh, we invite up all the time or get a chance. Some guys from Boston, uh, we had a retired battalion chief over here from New York, uh, FDNY. And, you know, just to sit down and have coffee with these guys and, uh, and talk with them and, um, and just get that way. So, well, that's, you know, that's it. When that's one thing about, I think it's unique about this job that we do and that we love, whether we're a career or, or a volunteer, is the fact that we, when we sit down, it's very, it's very, it's very uncommon for us not to talk about the job. And when we do, we always seem to learn something, even though we're joking around and we we still, we still seem to get each time we sit down and, and yak, we still seem to learn a little bit of something from that, from that discussion. And I don't know how many, that- how many other professions can say that they have that ability yeah, and for the price of a cup of coffee, you know, these guys, they, the guys that are passionate about it, the guys that want to talk, you know, they want to be involved. And to come up there and just sit there and listen and let them tell their stories, and you can learn stuff from them, you know, little tips and tricks, you know, because those tools, some of those tools we're still carrying today, you know, they were around when they were first coming out, or, you know, they got, I don't know how many hundreds of hours operating off that tool, you know, sure. and, and things you can learn. Um, exactly. somebody just put out a video the other day on the New York roof hook. And I, you know, I thought I knew that, uh, weapon pretty good. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I'll watch this video. And I'm like, doggone, I just picked up two more things that I can use just from techniques Yeah, stuff, yeah. and go out and do it. Don't just take it for granted. Go out and do it exactly. you know, and make sure it works for you. And don't be afraid to listen or not afraid to listen, but take the time out and put some investment in your job. We're professionals. If you're getting paid, you're professional. If you're a volunteer and you want to be professional, you know, read, read these, read these um, articles in these magazines, um, even the old ones, it's still pertinent, you know, adapt and, and, and tweak it to your district. You know, everybody, uh, sometimes on social media has a perfect fix for everything, but if it doesn't work for your community, you know, it's gotta be, um, how do I, I always like to say this, uh, tactics are dictated by conditions or conditions dictate tactics. Right. So whatever the conditions are, um, Adapt and overcome. And and just, you know, it's not going to fit in the box every time. Guaranteed. Exactly. Make your conditions, get a good size up. You got your conditions, you know, you wear your conditions, and then dictate your tactics. Let your tactics, your 
that way because it's not going to be the same fire every time. Definitely. That's for sure. We, we've talked about that several times with responding to 123 Main Street one night and two nights later you go to 125 Main Street. Both identical homes, it looks like to you, but two diff- totally different fires and two totally different situations. You just can never, there's no standard on our fire calls. Now, and you know, uh, I think it was Andy Fredericks that said in one of his articles, and it might have been a quote that he got from somebody else. And he said, the garbage man is not surprised on garbage day when he turns the corner and he sees a street full of, you know, trash cans. We shouldn't be surprised when we turn a corner and there's a fire rolling. So, you know, prepare for your job. Do your job. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Chief, thank you very much. This was a really good and informative uh, podcast information that you, you shared with us. And, and, and the listeners, and I think this whole thing about the stretch was so timely because it just, like I said, just broke on uh, social media again uh, last week or so. And I like the idea because so often uh, we've done that. I mean, I, I've been out for a long time, but there were a couple of calls that I can remember that I went on in, in, in North Carolina that we had to break everything down to attach more hose. Because we hadn't yeah. really, we hadn't planned for it. We just had to go. Oh, oh, we got, we need more hose here. We need more hose here. So, that starts, Moe, Larry, and Curly running in three different directions to go get a a donut or something like that, a donut or two, or a hose, and make sure they have. Now they have to take a wrench with them if they didn't have one before. They have to go pick it. it if you know this in advance, if you have this as part of your inner training that you've prepared yourself for. You're going to be a lot better off. All right. You know, um, just a point right there. Um, you know, I don't mind firefighters coming to the station and looking around. I encourage it, getting out there. And, you know, I went up and uh, visited DJ Stone just before high-rise operations last year. And just, you know, he's like, ah, it's just our reserve unit. You know, we went up there and we're talking and, you know, just looking around the fire station. And then he showed me something on his rig. And up there, they, um, you know, they have a lot of house fires and some of them are, um, you know, they have a lot of garage fires and they have their, um, their jump line pre plumb for a, you know, two inch hose or two inch, you know, pipe. And then they have a gated Y on there. Right. And what they do is they have a, um, two inch on one side and a reducer on the other side at the gate on the bumper. And they have a 50 foot stretch of hose on a smooth bore. Hmm. And in front of that, they have their trash line which is inch and three quarter and they're both shut off. So as soon as you charge that, you get to select which one, but what they do is they'll get on scene while everybody else is, cause there's sometimes limited uh, staffing. They pull up, the driver puts it in pump gear, gets everything going, charges that front line and then deploys that 50 feet of two and a half charges it and does a knockdown on it while everybody else is suiting up just to get ahead of the fire. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that is so simple. Yeah. And stupid. And it makes sense especially if it's like a, a, you know, a garage fire or maybe even a commercial fire, the front of you, you can make a quick hit and get that thing to reset or put it in check or punch it in the throat as uh, Kurt Isaacson says, and, and just, you know, and, and buy you some time. Just, you know, the clock, the clock's yeah, running. Sure, get some steam in there. Simple and... stuff like that. It doesn't work for everybody, but you know what? Just stop by, you know, make a friend. Exactly. Um, and hopefully they catch the right ship and the guy's passionate about it and they'll show you around. You know, some guys don't like to or whatever, you know, bother something. You know, you're going to have that. Right. Um, 
and you get to the conferences and you're not, you know, you're part of the 1%. Yeah. So, that's true. And people, you know, you can talk to everybody. That's the great thing about the conferences I go to. All these higher ups with a stardom and all this other stuff are just regular guys doing the job. They like talking about the job. You know, buy them a drink. And then it's amazing what you'll learn, you know. Exactly. Or stand by the free beer if it's it's available and, you know, and talk to them. But sure. I, 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 the one thing I'm always amazed of is after all this time, I'm still learning stuff. Yeah, isn't that all great? And I wish somebody would have told me to read Andy Frederick's book or take an Andy Frederick's class when he was still around because he's gone. Yeah. And, the, you know, the ambassadors of Andy that are still out there, the new Andy, take their classes. Read those articles, take their classes, and there's a wealth of information out there. And I wish I would have read it, you know, when I was first getting into it or took some classes from him before he's gone. So you never know who's not going to be here tomorrow. Exactly. Smoke, make the most of today. Ask questions, you know. Right, right. Well, again, Chief, I know we, we're tough on the schedule, but I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to join me. And, uh, nope. And, talk to our listeners i had the chance to do it finally yeah <laughs> as am i and uh hopefully uh i will get to see you again in the fall uh if everything works out at the 2019 great florida fire school yes uh, sir i'm planning on let's uh let something happens dramatically but i'm uh, i'm planning on being there well you know so. we, we don't know maybe captain joe may be a, a battalion chief by then too so hey that'd be a good choice it'd be a great that'd choice Great, great choice. He's teaching uh, out uh, at uh, at Firehouse World. To uh, I think it's today. Oh no, he's on his way back. I think he just taught. Uh, I think he's on. Yeah, he's on his yeah. way back. But yeah, I'm, I got to have him up for his tick class. You know, he, he's very yeah. passionate about that, and uh, he teaches a good class. And you know, I've got a lot of things on my schedule. I'm trying to get training in the backyard. So I tell the guys, I get listen, man. I was like, I get it if you can't get out of town, but if I put it in your backyard and it's within driving distance in your home every day, you got no excuse. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And I try to keep the cost as cheap as possible. Sure. And, you know, and then that way you get FDIC instructors, sometimes not always, in your backyard without the travel. You know, tank of fuel for the week, and, you know, you get fed, and, you know, you get some more stuff for your toolbox, and then go out and train your own crews or your or your, uh, your teammates, so to speak. So, oh, yeah, listen, listen I mean, I the, that one course that I taught last year, uh, which I just thought I was doing Joe a favor, and then they came back to me the next day and said, well, you have to sign these certificates. And I said, sign certificates? What are you talking about? I, well, you taught the, those four firefighters. And I said, yeah. So I just gave a little presentation with PowerPoint. No, no, no. They have to get their CEUs. You have to sign these certificates. So I signed them. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting at the computer with this wonderful lady from the Fire Academy uh, here in, in the state of Florida. And oh, yeah. I, and, yep. and I just, and I'm now an accredited certified fire instructor for the state of Florida um, for any class that has nothing to do with a promotion. That's not on a promotional exam. Somebody said, well, what will you teach? And I said, yeah, I'll be happy to come in and teach a department. But the thing is that uh, as long as my, my traveling per diem is covered, I'd rather see uh, whatever a fee you feel like giving, you felt like giving to give to the NFFF or the National Volunteer Fire Council. It's, it's for me to be able to teach this about firefighter health and safety and the cancer initiative is more important than trying to make money off off the deal. So no, exactly. if that's where it took me, that it brought me to the point where I could be an instructor in the state and I could teach this class for the betterment of the firefighters, my brothers and sisters, 
then I'm I'm happier than the pig in the proverbial poop. Uh, yeah, you know, and knowing that yeah. there's going to be a donation to one of those two great organizations. So yeah, somebody else is going to get to go because you're not pulling a paycheck. You're just trying to get your expenses. Exactly. I, uh, you know, they were short because of Hurricane Michael last year. Yeah, I ended up teaching forcible entry with uh, John Haywick out of yeah. Pacific, New Jersey. And talk about and props. I a great, great friend there. <laughs> Isn't and, he a great you know, guy? I was like, gosh, dang it. John, I just picked up like three or four things from you showing me what you're doing. And I'm like, golly, you know, and then, uh, so I, I had as much fun teaching the class as I did is him just going through the motions and showing them the way he wants it done, or this is what he learns. And then I was like, I'm picking up things right here, just absorbing it. Oh, you know, I'm in the, I'm teach I'm helping teaching the class, but I'm picking up, you know, things that I can use and bring back to my guys. And it's, and it's awesome. So you find some passionate guys. You know, and and you're in good shape. I've been out of it for 35 years, but I've sat in those those two those two uh, conferences, and I've like I just learned and absorbed like a firefighter. I took note to Joe's first uh, tick class uh, two years ago. <laughs> I was sitting there, and I took my pictures, and then I'm listening, and I'm just taking notes like I'm a firefighter learning about a tick because I never had a tick, never saw a tick. I mean, you know, when I was on, I I'm out since '85. So we didn't. I didn't know what a tick was, and but boy, yeah. boy did Joe and Andy. Andy Starnes has become a good friend of, as well, and um, you know you can't have two two better people on those ticks than those two guys right there. Plus, plus yeah. Andy's Andy's cohorts there with Insight Training. But um, it's just the the teachers I found that the that Joe has brought in these last two years, seventeen and eighteen. The t- the teachers are so passionate. The, these are people who are there not because they're getting money to be there. They're there because they want to share their knowledge with other firefighters. And what you yep. said about John, I mean, when John and I had dinner the first night before everybody else got there, and he was telling me about that big working fire that he had uh, in the summer. And uh, we talked about that. We talked about tactics and you know, he knew his tactics. He did everything, you know, lined up. He kept saying, you know, what do you think? And I said, well, listen, I'm just a, you know, snot-nosed, belly-crawling nozzle jockey. But I said, it sounded like everything was the right thing. You, you did everything right on your when you first came in and, and trying to do your, you know, you, you couldn't get to a 360 in the back, but doing what you could, I think everything, you know, fell into place. What happened, happened. You had no mm-hmm. idea that that fight had been cooking for you know, 15 minutes in the in the loft already. All you saw was on the on the on the oil. So I said, "That's going to happen." You know, we all know that shit happens. That's that's life. Whether you're oh, yeah. fighting a fire or you you go to the grocery store and the, somebody else just picked up the last pack of what your wife just ordered you to go and get. But that's just life, and we have to take that and take each of those and learn learn from those and move on to be a better person, be a better life and help somebody else pass it forward, pay it forward. And, we, you know, and John's a captain up there, and he rides up his battalion. And soon and to be a battalion. And he showed me these things, and then I showed him something. I'm like, have you seen this? And he's like, no. And I showed him how we're securing the wedge into the weather joint. Like, I had a little video that's on my Facebook page, and, you know, tying it off just to keep you something. So if you have to bail out of the window, the ladder doesn't slide with you, and you can right. take your helicopter. into it. I showed him the whole setup. He goes, Oh my gosh, I need to take pictures of this and bring this back to the guys. And it's and it's just that kind of like, you know, it's so cool because he's sharing and I'm sharing and then word gets out and it's like 
like I don't care about ownership, but it's like if everybody knows what to do and you put them in assignment, they're more tactically functional, you know, instead of having just a few key guys that only can do these things. Now you got everybody that's kind of like a, very good at like a lot of things. Right. That good thing. And, you know, it shows. So if there's a situation on the battleground, you know, everyone's be able ready. To adapt. Yeah, we'll think. Exactly. So especially under stress. Exactly. So, that being said. All right, Chief. Well, thank, well, thank you. Thank you so, again, Steve. No, thank so. you. I really appreciate it. It was great to meet you there, even if you didn't know my name for three days. But that's okay. Uh, I got a T-shirt. Hey, I'm out. with faces and bad with names. I, I got a T-shirt out of the deal. So, uh, which I where people say, "Were you in Venice, Italy?" I said, "No, no. I have a friend in Venice, Florida." <laughs> <laughs> Not Venice, California. Right. Not uh, All right. Venice, well, look, Louisiana. There's a few Venices out there. Oh so. yeah. Yeah, there are. Oh yeah, Venice, no, Louisiana. Great. That's on the bucket list for fishing too. Got to go to Venice, Louisiana. That's for sure. All right. Oh, well, yeah. again, my my sincere thanks. Look forward to it. I want to have you back though in a couple of months. All right. We'll come up with something else. Come uh, up with the next topic. Yes, sir. Next topic. All right, folks. We'll be right back right after these words. Please stay tuned. Remember when you were a young boy or girl and someone bullied you or teased you? Where did you most often turn to? Like many of us, you turned to your family. If you're a first responder, you probably no longer worry about those childhood problems, but there are plenty more that can affect us. Lack of sleep, the tragedy and horror we often see, even life's everyday stumbling blocks like family illness, money, and job problems, and more. So where do we turn now? Your gut reaction might be to keep it to yourself and not tell anyone about the hell you're going through. However, that's not going to help you or anyone else. Instead, you could start with your second family, someone you work with at the firehouse, on the ambulance, or at the station house. You spend a lot of time with them, don't you? And most of them understand many of the problems you're dealing with. Reach out to a coworker or an officer you trust. Speak to clergy of your house of worship. But don't keep it inside, gnawing away at you that's not good for you or anyone around you. Know that there are people who stand ready to listen to you and help you without passing judgment. Remember, to carry out your oath to protect life and property, the first life you have to care for is your own. This message is brought to you by this podcaster. He's been there and done it. If you have nowhere to turn and need help now, text BADGE to 741-741. That's BADGE to 741-741. It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car. Which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving. 
because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi folks, this is Steve. Most of the time when I do a message here on the podcast, I send it out to everybody. However, this particular message is especially important for the first responders who listen to my podcast in the United States and in Canada because we are under siege in our countries, under siege by an enemy we know is there but we can't see until it's too late. And that enemy is the distracted driver. So all I'm saying in this message today is that to please go to the website, www.dalmatianproductions.tv to read the blog post with the date of April 1st on it. It is not, I repeat, it is not an April Fool's joke. That blog entry is as serious as a heart attack or worse. So please, read that blog entry. Think about it. Take it back to your departments whether you're fire rescue, EMS, law enforcement, recovery operators, tow truck drivers, as we say, all of you need to heed the warning in the blog post. But the blog post is more than a warning. It gives us a way to offer protection to our first responders who respond to emergency scenes on active roadways. We are losing too many first responders from all the divisions to distracted drivers who are barreling through emergency scenes while they're texting, while they're talking, while they're smooching, while they're doing something else that takes their attention away from the roads. Yes, probably most of us are guilty of it at one point or another. But some of us really still do care and really try to do the best we can in paying attention on the roadway. And we avoid texting. We avoid holding a phone while we're on it. We try to use hands-free only. But there are too many who don't. And those are the people who are killing our brother and sister first responders. And it's time that we do something about it. No, we can't foresee which driver of which car or which truck is going to be the one that's going to plow through an emergency scene. But we can prepare for any vehicle to plow through an emergency scene and hopefully keep injuries minimal and fatalities to zero of the emergency workers on that scene. So please, go to the website, www.dalmatianproductions.tv and go to the tab that says blog across the top. Read it. Feel free to leave your comments at the end or feel free to write to me here at dalmatproductoutlook.com or write to me on Facebook. I'm interested to hear your feedback, but I know that we've lost and we're losing too many great people who are police officers, paramedics, EMTs, firefighters, recovery operators, 
even good citizens, good Samaritans who stop at an accident accident scene to help out. It's time we work together to put an end to these murders. www.dalmatianproductions.tv Go to the blog page. And that's my view. Every year, over a million fires burn in America. Fortunately, firefighters are on the job, saving life and property. And you can be a part of it. Seven out of ten firefighters and emergency responders are volunteers. There's no typical firefighter. Anyone can volunteer to serve their community. Volunteering as a first responder is really about having the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most. Your community needs you. Are you ready to answer the call? Learn more and find local volunteer opportunities at makemeafirefighter.org. And that wraps this episode of Five Alarm Task Force News and Issues for Today's First Responders. We'd like to thank our guest, Battalion Chief Scott Blanchard of the Venice Fire Department, for joining us to discuss what do you do when those pre-connects are too short and some concerns regarding high-rise fires. Did you know you can now find us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and most podcast platforms? Just search for Five Alarm Task Force. We also want to thank our sponsor, Insight Training, LLC, and our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, the Firehouse Tribune, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, Nesta Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. If you would like to be a guest with us or have a suggestion for a show, please drop us a line to dalmatprod at outlook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at dalmatprod or at cause underscore origin and on Facebook at forward slash dalmatprod and dalmatprodfire. And stay up to date with all the news about our podcast, Dalmatian Productions, and our blog on our website, www.dalmatianproductions.tv. I'm Steve Green. Until next time, stay safe, stay well. And let's make sure everyone goes home.